This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And don't forget, you can also find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 124 of the show. And we would love to kick things off with a big thank you to our listener supporters. Your $5 a month really does make a big difference in keeping this show going. And so if our show, if our recommendations like our Awesomes of the Week or if our Awesome Hangout community, if any of those things have added to your life, we would love for you to consider supporting us by going to sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. All of you awesomes who support Sorta Awesome have access to all of our special episodes that are not out there for the public to hear, as well as our exclusive Facebook group that we created just for our super awesome supporters. And just a reminder, all of that information is over at sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. So yes, this is episode 124, and today I'm joined by my brilliant co-host, Rebecca Hoffer of simplyrebecca.com. And today we are going gaga for babies. We are talking about all the ways that you can survive and even thrive in the baby stage of parenting. And we hope that all of you awesomes who are not parents or whose little tiny baby phase of life is over, we hope you'll stick around because we've got some great ideas on how you can help make life a little bit easier for the people in your lives that do have those little babies that they're snuggling right now or they're on the way. So we're going to be talking about all things baby in just a bit. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's the moment in the show where we share with you about the books, the TV shows, the music, the podcast, whatever it is that's making our lives a little bit more awesome this week. Hi, Rebecca. I can't wait to hear all about your awesome. Hello. So my awesome of the week this week are body shaping jeans from H&M. The reason why. Wow. Yeah. 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 Body shaping. We all could use a little <laughs> bit of body shaping, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. So here are my problems when it comes to jeans and my body. Okay. I carry the bulk of my weight probably like in my stomach. And then I have like a little bit of a booty, but it's not a very impressive booty. So <laughs> what ends up happening is that for me to feel comfortable and not like a overstuffed sausage around my waist, I end up having more of a saggy rear end problem that happens. You know, unless my jeans are like fresh from the dryer, oh so tight, they can very mm. easily get that like saggier look in the back end. Yes. Yes. It's very unfortunate. The saggy booty. Very yeah. unfortunate <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> so I found these jeans at H&M and I really like them. They are a skinny jean and they have okay. a lot of stretch to them. So this is what I like. They are tight. Okay. These things are extremely tight so if you don't want okay. <laughs> if you don't want tight jeans <laughs> these are not the ones for you but they have so much stretch to them that I can like literally like pull and stretch on the waistband 
And then it still like hugs and snugs absolutely everything else. Does that make sense? Love it. Yeah. Yes, it does. Definitely. Okay. So they're $50. They're from H&M. They're called body shaping. They don't really look or feel like jeggings. I think I consider jeggings to be more of like a pure cotton type stretch jean. And Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. these look like they're real jeans that you wouldn't know unless you come up to my leg and actually give a tug what they are. But again, I will warn you that they are very tight. I like my legs, so I don't mind showing off tight legs. And if it helps with the saggy booty, I feel like it's a win-win for me. Now, the annoying thing about H&M is that their sizes are like European sizes. So I would definitely, if you're going in there, I would ask, I would be prepared with the normal U.S. size that you typically wear and then ask them for some help and for some guidance. I went in recently and asked and a lovely woman in her 20s, much curvier than I am, was wearing the body shaping jeans. And she said, that's what I'm wearing. They work really well for me. So I think that they will probably adjust well to wherever your, I don't want to say problem areas, wherever you're a little bit more voluptuous. Is that, can we say that? (laughs) Good. I like it. So I also was looking at a different store, and they also had a lot of stretch, but then the waistband didn't give like the waistband gives in these H&M body shaping jeans. So if you're looking for a jean that can hug you in all the appropriate places and give where you need some give, I would encourage you to check them out. I love that. I have to tell you, as you're describing these tight, tight jeans, the only thing going through my mind is that Mel McDaniel song, you probably don't know it. It's a country and Western song called Baby's Got Her Blue Jeans On. <laughs> uh, most it just definitely keeps do running not. through my mind. Lord have mercy, baby's got her blue jeans on. perfect background music for Rebecca's Awesome of the Week this week, you all, I'm telling you. (laughs) So what awesome are you bringing this week? Okay, so my Awesome of the Week is a little treat that I found on YouTube. It is a series of short, short videos put out by Funny or Die. Probably most of you are familiar with Funny or Die. They create a lot of like viral video content. It's all comedy. In fact, it's a lot of it is fairly crass humor. I'm just going to put that out there. There's definitely a language warning on these. But this particular video series is called Zach Morris is Trash. Oh, what? (laughs) Did you watch Say by the Bell, Rebecca, ever? Or is that a little ahead of your time? No, am I a female that was alive in the 90s? Yes, yes, I did watch (laughs) Say by the Bell. He was my pretend boyfriend in all of my fantasies, always. Right? Yes, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> so Funny or Die has done this really funny series where they go back and they show like Zach Morris just basically being a monster in life. And we didn't realize because it was the 90s and we didn't really realize a lot of things about, you know, having good manners or not being racist or <laughs> some of those things. So some of the videos on this playlist, Rebecca, your face right now is one of shock and disapproval. <laughs> I do not want this in my life. He is forever perfect in my mind. Why are you doing this? They're so funny. They're so funny. So some of the videos are like the time Zach Morris drove drunk and crashed the car. Do you remember that, Rebecca? Because I do. No, I don't. (laughs) There's also the time that Zach Morris lied about being Jewish to go to a baseball game. One that went really viral that probably a lot of you have seen is the time Zach Morris made a girl in a wheelchair feel terrible. So... I don't know. You know me. One of my favorite things in life is analyzing and deconstructing a lot of my favorites from childhood. I mean, to this day, the Babysitter's Club Club podcast is one of my favorite must-listens every week. I don't know why I find this so enjoyable. I just do it. As it turns out, all of my faves are problematic (laughs) these days. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to watch. Oh, it's going to be good. I can just tell. Oh, my word. That's hilarious. So fun. So funny. Definitely. So again, it's Funny or Die. There's a playlist filled with them on YouTube of Zach Morris's Trash, and I will put a link into the show notes for this episode if you also would like to go back and get quite a giggle. 
This is also really funny for me personally, I guess, because <laughs> Kyle and I were dating when we were in college. I don't even know. We were just, you know, you have these little conversations like, you know, if you if you were going to date any actor, actress, whatever. And I mentioned something about always thinking that Zach Morris was so cute. Well, <laughs> to this day, <laughs> Kyle teases me about that. So, you know, if he'll come down the stairs, all dressed for church, looking so nice, he'll be like, oh, you look so great. He'll be like, I'm no Zach Morris, but I guess it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. I love that so much. So anyway, so fun. If you just need a giggle, a little bit of escape from some of the stresses of the world around you, this is really fun for that. So just a reminder that every single Friday over in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group on Facebook, we open up the floor for all of you awesomes to share your awesome of the week. I can't tell you how much awesome I have brought into my own life from hearing an awesome or reading about an awesome that you all have shared in that thread. So just as a reminder, if you're not part of our Facebook community, but you would like to be, go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. So awesomes, by now you've probably made your holiday shopping lists and you're checking them twice and you might just find out that you have a family member or two that you still don't know what to give them this holiday season. Support for this episode of Sorta Awesome is brought to you by StoryWorth. StoryWorth is on a mission to bring families together through the power of storytelling. StoryWorth preserves your family memories. When you give the gift of StoryWorth, family members can pass on treasures to your children and their future families. Here's how it works. Purchase a subscription to StoryWorth for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. All they do is reply to that email with their story, or they can even call StoryWorth and record their story over the phone. All of the stories that are shared are private, and they're only shared with the family members that you choose. After a year, their stories are all collected and bound into a beautiful keepsake book. We gave the gift of StoryWorth to my mother-in-law earlier this year, and I cannot even begin to tell you how awesome it has been to read some of the stories she recorded. I have known her for over two decades, but some of the memories she has revealed in her StoryWorth answers have blown me away. To give the gift of StoryWorth this holiday season and to get $20 off, visit StoryWorth.com slash awesome when you subscribe. That's $20 off when you go to StoryWorth.com slash awesome to sign up. Thank you, StoryWorth. Okay, well, this episode, Rebecca, I feel like is very meaningful. It's very sentimental in a lot of ways. It's very full circle because this time last year, this week last year, actually, on Sort of Awesome, you and I released an episode. It was episode 80, and it was called Offering Gentle Comfort in Times of Grief for the Holidays and beyond. I'll put a link in the show notes to that episode if you have not heard it. In that episode, you shared about how even though this time last year, you guys were about to welcome your third baby to the family, but the Christmas before that, the holiday season before that was exceptionally difficult for you and your family as you had experienced a miscarriage. And you told that story and that really inspired us to just kind of dig in and say, let's get serious about grief at the holidays. So that was a year ago. Now in January, you guys had your little baby, little awesome little Isaac. And so he's going to turn one next month. And now here we are talking about how to survive and thrive in baby's first year. So how is Isaac and how are the Hoffers now as a family of five? Well, Isaac is just a joy. We are so thankful for him and for that healthy pregnancy and his safe delivery and all of that. He brings so much joy, I think, as like all new babies do. I have to say, I am coming up this year on the anniversary of our loss. I am so thankful for that episode that we did together because on that episode, we had Dr. Margaret come on and she spoke to grief and offered her professional insights on it. And one thing that she said about grief at the holidays is that your grief will sneak up on you at the holidays, that you may feel it more intensely at the holidays than other times because you simply don't remember what you're happening on like, I don't know, a random like May 15th or a random like July 
30th, like those dates might not stick out in your brain, in your minds, but you almost always can remember where you were, what you were doing, what you were feeling and experiencing at the holidays. And so true. That has been so comforting to me even this year, because I have to tell you, it's been a difficult year for me again already. And I have just felt some sadness around this year already. And it's just so freeing and validating to know that that's okay. And that this is totally normal and totally expected. And that, of course, it's okay for me to feel sad around Thanksgiving because, you know, Two years ago, we had just found out that we were pregnant close to Thanksgiving, and then that pregnancy didn't last, and that's okay. And There was just so much wisdom in what she had to say and so much goodness in that episode. It's continuing to help me even my own personal life even this year. So I'm so thankful that we put that together. I'm so thankful for our little Isaac and the joy that he's bringing, and Meg, he's just a delight. He's so... <laughs> so much fun he he seems like such a smiley baby (laughs) he's a flirt he's a complete flirt he'll smile at everybody and anybody (laughs) so cute so fun i love it so yeah i mean he's turning one next month are you prepared for that emotionally are you having a lot of sad feelings are you just excited for getting to that first birthday No, 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 no. We're like hitting pause. Like, obviously, I'm pleased that he is healthy and growing and getting older, but I adore the baby stage. And so I'm trying to just like embrace the moment and enjoy the ride and not grieve over, oh, it's already slipping through my fingers. I just really love the baby stage. You know, I do too. I especially love the newborn phase. I know that a lot of people find that to be very stressful. I just love it. I love snuggling little babies. And in a lot of ways, newborns in, you know, those especially those first weeks, especially if you have older kids, it's so easy because you can, I mean, they just stay in their, you know, their little carriers, either in a sling or in their little car seat carrier when you're out and about and they're kind of portable. (laughs) Just take them along. They're not running away from you the way toddlers do. Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I love, love the little baby stage. Now, once they get mobile and life changes all over again, it gets a little stressful. It does. It really does. And we're kind of in that with Isaac. He is not walking yet, but he's crawling. He's pulling up. He's digging into everything. He's pulling everything out of all the cupboards. He is adding to the noise level and the mess of our house and not like contributing to like the workload. (laughs) (laughs) not contributing to the cleanup yet no he's not that little stinker he just makes all the messes and then runs away crawls away that's right yes (laughs) well as some of you all know i loved the baby phase of parenting so much that i actually helped to write a book on it So we're going to talk about that a little bit today um, because it does fit in with us talking about the first year of of parenting. In fact, so this book that I co-authored with my friend and co-author, Laura Oyer, it came out in 2012. It's been a while. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's been a while. And the title of it is Spirit-Led Parenting from Fear to Freedom in baby's first year. And it really does focus on that first year of parenting. To give you all a little bit of backstory on that book, going way back in time, Kyle and I were married for six years before we started a family, before we got pregnant with and had our oldest child, Daisy. And in fact, we started dating when I was 18. And so my biggest driving thought going into parenting was that becoming parents was going to wreck our marriage. It was going to totally change the dynamic of our marriage and that it was going to kind of mess things up. I think in retrospect, because I personally did not have a very healthy model of marriage when I was growing up, I didn't know much about parenting, but I did know that I did not want for our marriage to become unhealthy once we started having kids. And of course, Not just, you know, coming from that in my family of origin, but also there's tons of stereotypes and media portrayal about how parenting can, you know, cause people to grow apart instead of really growing together in marriage. And so all I knew was that I did not want that. So a couple of years before we started our family, 
a family member of ours gave me a book that's really popular in Christian circles. I don't know if it is still, but it's been around for decades, I think. And it really appealed to me in those pre-parenting days because it made it seem like the way the book is written, some of the verbiage that's used, and definitely the people who are advocates of this book, the message is that if you follow the rules that the book sets forth, follow their guidelines, follow their philosophy, then life with a new baby will be totally peaceful. It will not rock the boat of your life. (laughs) Everything will just kind of keep going as it has been going. And they also, in that book, kind of paint a picture of what can happen if you don't follow that book, which they portray a family that did not follow the guidelines in that book as being very chaotic. The marriage was stressed. The parents were always stressed. The baby was unhappy. Basically, bad things would happen. So I read practically to the point of memorization that book, even before I ever got pregnant. (laughs) I was just like, this is how we're going to do things. Well, fast forward to January of 2005, when our oldest, Daisy, was born. Turns out she did not read the book. (laughs) Oh, And (laughs) she did not care for that philosophy. (laughs) So all of the things that I tried to implement for her, she basically, as a baby, would be like, I'm sorry, what? No, we're not going to do things that way. That's not how I operate. So if the book said, you know, schedule feedings. I would try to do that. I was nursing her. She was a big baby when she was born. She was nine pounds, 12 ounces. And she just could not go that long in between the feedings suggested by the schedule in the book. If the book said, you know, nap time should be this long, she was completely uninterested in that. She was really uninterested in napping unless someone was holding her. The book said, do not hold your baby to sleep. Don't rock them to sleep. They need to learn how to go to sleep independently. Daisy loved to be rocked. And so I can look back on it now and kind of laugh about it. But at the time, it was not funny. I was experiencing so much internal tension and angst and turmoil because when I would try to go with the flow and just like try to be peaceful and zen about things and, you know, rock her to sleep and all of, you know, all of the things that seemed to be working then I felt so guilty because I wasn't doing anything the way the book said to do. But then when I tried to follow the book and leave her in her bed to cry, there was no self-soothing. She cried and cried and cried into hysteria. And so if I was trying to follow the book, I was feeling guilty because I wasn't, you know, tending to my baby who was clearly in distress. (laughs) So the whole first three months of Daisy's life were really just filled with that tension between me trying to do what I thought was the right thing to do and having a baby that was just was not the right thing for her. So about four months into that, I just happened to read a column in a baby magazine written by Dr. William Sears, and he was writing about having a high needs baby. And I was reading this column and I was like, it was almost like a checklist, like everything that he described about high needs babies Oh, it was Daisy, perfectly to a T. And so I was like, okay, this guy gets it. And so I went and found all of his stuff. It led me to attachment parenting, started to put some of those practices into place. And it turned out that that approach for Daisy worked the best for us. Now, there were some adjustments that we made along the way to kind of make it fit better for our family. But yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a totally different way of doing this. And it doesn't involve both her screaming in her crib and me crying outside of her room. Like there's a different way to do this. And it was so amazing and so liberating. I can relate so much to everything that you're saying. Uh, Even just this past year. Okay. Just to interject here a little bit. What you said about having this idea of this routine and the structure of how you want things to go, not even necessarily a schedule, but just having maybe these parenting philosophies in your mind. And then when you have a baby that challenges that, then there is that guilt. And there's also that fear for me that I am setting up my child to forever have this unhealthy, I put in air quotes, unhealthy pattern and behavior in their life. And like forever and ever, amen, I am going to have a struggle with this child. Like this child will never, ever sleep without being touched until they're like going to college or something, you know, like you think like if I don't do it absolutely the right way by the book right now, then my whole life is ruined. (laughs) Yes, that is the 
mental space that I was in for the earliest months and weeks of parenting with Daisy. And honestly, I kind of revisited it when I had the twins because, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but basically I had to shift everything I believed about parenting again <laughs> when the twins came along. But yes, I think it's a very universal thing, especially, especially when it's your first, but it could be later, children, that you do start to think like, if I don't do it this way, or if, you know, if we can't figure out a solution for this problem right now, then it is going to be a lifelong problem. And, and sometimes it's hard to keep the right perspective. So anyway, so fast forward a little bit in that space and time, I had really gotten to know a friend through a parenting message board. Remember message boards, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> this was before the Facebook came into our lives. <laughs> So I had a group of mom friends. We all kind of met each other because all of us were having babies in January of 2005. For some people, it was our first babies. For some people, it was the fourth or fifth or, you know, even more babies. But we all had kind of found our way together on this message board. And so I noticed that there was one other mom who would post things on our message board. And every time she would post, I felt like she was totally reading my diary. I mean, all of the things that she was describing were the same that, you know, she came from a Christian background in her parenting circles, in her friend circles. These were the things that people said you have to do. She was having a lot of guilt. We were just kind of like trying to navigate our own way. So over time, we really became friends through phone calls and emails. And we sort of began to have this dream that maybe a reason that we were going through all of these struggles as new moms was that we were meant to share our message of how we had eventually come to find peace in parenting that we were meant to share that message with others. So I have to say that spirit-led parenting originally came from a place of being more like an attachment parenting guide for Christian parents. But over time, and thankfully, we had some trouble kind of getting our proposal out there and getting it to publishers. And it turned out to be such a great thing because over time, the message of the book became less about the attachment parenting focus and more about how, as Christian parents, we can trust that God is going to speak to us through the Holy Spirit to show us how to parent the child that we have been given either that we gave birth to or that we've added to our family through adoption or however that child has come to be in our family that we can trust that God will guide us through his spirit, which is where the title then comes from, Spirit-Led Parenting. And so yeah, it came out in 2012 and it's written by both Laura and I, kind of both a little bit memoir style, but also here are some actual, you know, like facts and figures and statistics that we've picked up along the way. We hope so much that the ultimate message that people have taken from that book is to trust your own instinct, your the guidance that you feel that you're getting, you know, spiritually, and to just know that it's going to be okay. <laughs> It's going to be okay. That's oh. what I wish someone would have told me when I was a new mom. So, that's yeah, all so that that's we need to book... hear, right? It's going to be okay. Yes. So exactly. I read your book when it came out. I had a new baby that year. My son Noah was born that year. And to this day, I mean, I haven't read it again since then, but to this day, I do just remember reading that book and getting this general feeling of, yes, it's going to be okay. Just this release almost of stress, this release of holding on tightly to expectations and holding on tightly to rules and regulations and just like letting it go and it's going to be okay. And one thing, especially with Isaac, that I have realized, this is so obvious, but like we know with older kids that they all need different things, right? We know that different types of discipline work with different types of children, especially as you getting into, you know, toddlerhood or even well beyond and to tweens and teens, all that. Everybody knows that. So when you're talking to your girlfriend about your kids, everybody talks about like, well, what works for them? What is going to speak to them? But we don't think that way or we don't talk that way nearly as much when it comes to babies. We kind of feel like there's these universal cookie cutter solutions to babies. And I often feel like it's around the subject of sleep, if I'm completely blunt and honest, that if you do X, Y, Z, your baby's going to sleep. That's what I did. That's what worked with my kids. Why don't you give that a try? And I just feel like it's, it's just not reality. Yes, it may have worked for them and it may have worked for others, but 
Our children are different people with different needs and different personalities from the moment that they're born. They don't transform into these different, unique individuals once they turn five. And something that I've been trying to really embrace and lean on that concept this year in particular, because Isaac has really kind of broken the mold for us and our family in terms of the types of babies that we've had previously. And now the way that we are choosing to parent Isaac, a lot of it's the same, but then there's a lot of things that are different. And it has been a stretching experience for my husband and I. And I'm just trying to remember, he's a different baby. (laughs) He was born that way and it's okay. Yes. Yes, it's so true. And it's so funny. It's just, you know, the way life works. We went through all of that with Daisy. had to learn the hard way to just, you know, trust that. And also, like you said, to understand that different babies, that they're humans. They may not be developed. They're infants, but they're humans. They need different things. Then AJ, our second daughter, came along. She was like the model perfect baby in terms of like totally predictable schedule, totally predictable nap times. Now she's a wild and crazy kid as in, you know, a big kid, but as an infant, a newborn and an infant, she was a breeze. I actually wrote, I think maybe even on my blog, because I was blogging by the time she was born, that if all babies were like AJ, I'd have a dozen of them. She was so easy. And so, yeah, I mean, babies are, they're humans. They're going to be different. And then, so yeah, to kind of revisit like how everything changed again after the twins were born. Well, yeah, I was so, yeah, the twins, exactly. So (laughs) I was so happy with all of the discoveries I had made when the girls were little. And I totally just planned to just keep doing the same thing when the twins were born. Well, as it turns out, (laughs) having two infants at once is a challenge. And I was like, oh my gosh, we need a schedule. like a full circle moment for me too to go back and be like okay now I can totally see the value of the schedule now we didn't fully implement all of the things that sometimes go along with that I personally cannot do cry it out sleep training with babies I understand it works great for some parents and for some families it doesn't work for me as a human to do that so you know we made some adjustments along the way but in terms of like having a nap schedule and a especially a feeding schedule and you're feeding two infants keeping it all together and organized, that really worked so much better for me. So after the twins came along, I was like, wow, I can't believe I actually wrote a book about (laughs) about parenting babies because maybe I don't know anything after all. (laughs) Oh, Oh my goodness. Isn't that just how it is with parenting? Just when you think you have it like figured out, you're like, oh, maybe I don't know anything. Okay, but now why haven't you written a follow-up book on like toddlerhood or other parenting? I am not... I am not, I'm going to capitalize that and put it in bold, not a good toddler parent. (laughs) I find the toddler stage to be very stressful. It's so hands-on. And plus, we talked about it and we definitely had a lot of readers who would email or, you know, track me down on my blog to ask, is there going to be a follow-up book, Spirit-Led Parenting for Toddlers? And Laura and I talked about it. And we just, I mean, there's so many dynamic issues with toddlers. And it really is a time when their little personalities come into play that we just felt like, oh my goodness, I don't know if we could tackle that whole phase. Some of the concepts and the ideas stay the same in terms of trying to figure out what's best for that child. But I just am really bad at toddler parenting. So that's why we never, (laughs) we never followed up with any book on toddlerhood. So We do hope, you know, Laura, my co-author and I, we do hope that it has been a great resource for people through the years and hopefully a good source of comfort. But let's talk resources, Rebecca. I know you are like, you're in it right now. You are in baby phase. It's been a few years. Our twins are almost five. So it's been a few years for me. But let's talk resources. What are some of the sort of things that have helped you this time or even in the past to figure out how not just to like get through baby phase, but to actually enjoy it along the way. Well, my sister gave me a book when I was pregnant with my first a long time ago. And (laughs) the general concept of the book really appealed to me. It's called Secrets of the Baby Whisperer, How to Calm, Connect, and Communicate with Your Baby. And this Mm -hmm. was written by Tracy Hogg. And so (laughs) there's a lot that I probably don't connect with on this book. But the one thing that really stood out to me was the idea of having a general routine of you feed your baby, then they have like an awake playtime, and then the baby goes to sleep. 
And then when the baby wakes up and they're crying, you know, okay, well, now they're ready to eat. And then they eat and then they are awake and play. And then when they start fussing again, you're like, oh, okay, well, now they're ready to go to sleep. Now that really simplifies (laughs) the newborn stage like a lot. And it's almost maybe a little bit ridiculous how much that simplifies things. But that worked for Grace, my first baby. And it really worked for Noah, my second. I don't know if it worked quite as much for Isaac. But I just feel like kind of even just having that general concept in my mind of like that cycle, if that makes any sense. Having that cycle in my mind Mm -hmm. really helped me answer the questions, especially when I was a brand new mom of why is my baby crying? Do I need right. to try like all the things? Because, you know, there's all these reasons why your baby is crying. You know, there's gas, there's a dirty diaper, there's temperature issues. They just want to be cuddled and held. They're sleepy. They want to be awake. They want to eat, you know, all these things. And I just felt like having this general cycle in my mind gave me some insights as to what to prioritize in terms of trying to stop the crying, if that makes any sense. It totally does. Yes. So again, that book was called Secrets of the Baby Whisperer by Tracy Hogg. And again, I cannot vouch for the entire book. I really can't because it's been a very long time since I've read it. But that and I do distinctly remember not agreeing with some of her breastfeeding advice. But the general routine was helpful. So also another resource that was fun from kind of way back in the day, Lisa Jo Baker, popular blogger and author, wrote a blog post in February of 2012 titled 100 Ways to Encourage a New Mom. Meg, I was seven months pregnant when she published that post. I ate it up. I loved it. I I printed it out and put it on my refrigerator. That's, I mean, that's when you're committed to something that you find online is when you print it out. That's amazing. Well, I think it was like a not so subtle hint to like anybody who would enter my house. Hey, look, these are the things that she wants you to do. (laughs) These are the ways that you can help Rebecca. And the one thing that stood out in my mind the most from that blog post was make sure she's actually in one out of every 1,000 photos she's taking. Oh, oh yeah. Yes, right? As new moms, I feel like we're not necessarily in love with ourselves. You know, we're tired and squishy and probably haven't showered. We don't feel great about ourselves, but we still need those photos. We need those memories. We need someone else to step in and take them for us. And so that's been something that I've been really grateful for. I have friends who have done that for me since having children that they're like, hey, let me take a picture of you. And I was always like, eh, no, I don't really love the way I look. But I'm thankful for the photos. I'm thankful for the memories. And it's a simple way that you can continue to bless those in your life who are in the baby stage, even beyond the baby stage. Moms, oh my goodness, we need to step out from behind the camera and be in the pictures. It's a fantastic way to bless the women in your life, is just to take a picture of them. So there's lots of other good nuggets of information in that blog post, and we'll link to it in the show notes, of course. Lots of just general encouragement of saying things like, it's going to be okay, things like bringing them chocolates, practical things like taking meals, folding laundry. I mean, it's a huge list of things. It's really encouraging. If you have someone in your life who is pregnant or a new mom, You're going to find a lot of good suggestions in that article. And then also, I recently listened to the podcast, The Lazy Genius Raises a Baby. It's episode number 18. And in that episode, Kendra has a lot of really good advice about having a new baby. And the one thing that stood out to me that I just loved was pick a series to read or watch in those early newborn days. Something that is ongoing that you can have all those warm and fuzzy feelings about when you look back later and think, oh, that was when I read Harry Potter or that's when I binged Friends or whatever it is. Just to have something in those moments when you have the solitude alone, either in the middle of the night or just like, you know, alone in your bedroom nursing, snuggled up on the couch, you can have something like fun for yourself to indulge in. I agree with that so much. 
<laughs> again, to this day, this happened a long time ago, when AJ was a new baby, a newborn. This was 2007. This was pre-streaming anything. I would get up in the middle of the night and go out to the living room to nurse her. And during that little phase in time, one of the channels was running like old seasons of America's Next Top Model. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Work, girl. <laughs> so AJ and I spent a lot of time with Tyra Banks <laughs> in the middle of the night. And I do still have such fond memories of that moment in time. And even though that show, of course, could be a little silly and a little ridiculous, I just have such affection for it because it does remind me of those middle of the night nursing sessions with her. And then when the twins were born, I read, starting when I was in the hospital, because we were in the hospital for a week with the twins, starting there and then on into when we had come home, I read books six and seven in the Harry Potter series. And so again, I mean, I love Harry Potter in general, but those two books, especially just when I come across passages and all of that, I just remember being all snuggled up with my little boys and finishing off the series and crying at the end and all of the things. So yeah, I totally agree with that. That's such a great tip. Kendra has amazing tips in her podcast, The Lazy Genius. Love that. Yeah, I think it's a really unique thing, something that you wouldn't necessarily think to advise other moms to do. But once it's said out loud, everybody is like, oh, yes, yes, you must do that. It'll be so much fun. So again, that one was called The Lazy Genius Raises a New Baby and is number 18. And then finally, one of my all-time favorite baby resources. I hate to toot my own horn, but it's my own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to toot it anyway. It is a blog post that I wrote called 14 Things You Need for Your Postpartum Body, a Pre-Baby Shopping List for Mommy. Meg, this blog post has been pinned on Pinterest over 545,000 times. <laughs> Holy Moses, Rebecca! I knew it was popular. I remember when it started taking off on Pinterest, but my goodness. That's a lot. Yeah, this blog post has done quite a bit for my blogging career. I'm very thankful for it. <laughs> Definitely. Well, it's super practical. And this is something that lots of women are thinking about as they're preparing for a baby. Well, and I think that it's almost the opposite problem, though, is that it's something that we don't always talk about so much, the postpartum right. thing. Yes. And I think that part of that is out of fear of the whole birthing process, that we are so excited about the baby and we're so excited for once the baby comes, but the process of birthing the baby and all of the ways that we will potentially be damaged afterwards, those are things that we don't want to think about and we don't want to talk about and we kind of live in denial of. And I remember specifically in my birthing class that I was doing great. I was, you know, feeling good. I was in a positive headspace. And then we came to the section on postpartum. And she shared all of the different things that you might need or use in the hospital postpartum. We're talking like she showed, you know, the big mesh underwear and the ice packs that are like, you know, big pads, but then you put it in your underwear and all those things. It was after that session that I was like, <laughs> I was shook. <laughs> I was like, again, another, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I was so <laughs> freaked out. I was like, holy cow, what did I get myself into? Like, I knew it was going to hurt coming out, but then they don't talk about, oh, you're going to need to ice your vajayjay? I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I'm sorry, What? And I'm going to bleed for how long after this baby's born? Oh, yeah. my word. It's like postpartum and what you need is a big deal. And I feel like we just don't talk about it that much because we don't want to. So that's not very helpful, though, and it's not very practical. And so women need to know, hey, these are some things that you're going to want to have on hand. So I have this list. Yes. It's 14 things. There's tons of stuff on there from breastfeeding needs all the way down to a list of my favorite freezer meals to help stock you up in the freezer. But two of my favorite ones, number one, special soap for your shower immediately after delivery. Because let me tell you, Meg, I think you can attest to this, that that shower is not so much fun, okay? If you give birth in a hospital, it's a small shower. Your body is wrecked. 
you're squishy in places that were previously like hard and toned because there was an adorable little baby in there. And then you look down and you're like, oh, you're leaking different (laughs) fluids from all these different places. It's just not the best experience. So you have yourself some special soap, something that smells really good that you just really love. And then it makes that process just a little bit more tolerable and a little bit more fun. The second favorite item I have on the list is big underwear. Okay. Yes. Thank you, Jesus, for big underwear. (laughs) And I'm not talking about, you know, making sure that you're not wearing a thong to the hospital. I'm talking about like underwear that like goes up high on your waist. Yep. And you know why you need this? The grannyest of granny patties. Yes. 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 You need this because you don't know for sure if you are going to have a C-section. And if you have a Mm -hmm. C-section, where your underwear hits is exactly where that incision is going to be. And it's unpleasant and it's uncomfortable. And there I was. I knew I was having a C-section. Nobody told me I needed to take extra big underwear. And it was after my first son was born and I was there getting dressed to come home. And I said to my husband, calling through the bathroom door, "Uh, can you look in the suitcase? Look at all my underwear and pick out a pair that looks like it's the biggest. Because this pair (laughs) isn't cutting it. Yes. Maybe that's why I have such fondness and affection for big underwear. I've only ever had C-sections. And so, yes, absolutely. The big underwear to your belly button, if you can find them, is, oh my gosh, it's so comforting when nothing feels comfortable in that realm. Yeah, it's, uh, you have to just put your pride aside. Nobody wants to wear underwear up to your belly button. But goodness sakes, nobody wants elastic digging into their incision on the way home from the hospital. Ladies, you need big underwear. You need big underwear. Yes. Yes. So we'll have... And listen, yeah, and you know what? If you have a friend who is having a C-section, a planned one, make sure she has a pack to take to the hospital. Put it in her bag for her and just be like, trust me, friend. You'll thank me later. That's an excellent (laughs) idea because no woman wants to go shopping for big granny panty underwear. She just doesn't. (laughs) It's going to be a depressing afternoon for her, but she's going to thank you if you do it for her. So that's wonderful. So we'll have a link to that also in the show notes, of course. 14 things you need for your postpartum body. Hey, awesomes. I know if you're anything like me, this is the time of year that's all about making life more simple and a little bit easier. Less stress, less frantic, more organized, more efficient. Well, that's why I'm so happy that support for this episode of Sorta Awesome is brought to you by Lola. Lola is on a mission to make your month a lot easier by delivering 100% organic cotton feminine care products right to your door every month. Now, you know, I've been a huge fan of Lola for years because all of their products are made from 100% organic cotton. And I love that Lola's subscriptions are fully customizable. You can choose your mix of products, the perfect mix of absorbency, how often it's delivered. You can change up your shipment at any time and skip a month if you need to. Because the team at Lola wants you to know how awesome it is to have 100% organic cotton feminine care products shipped right to your door every single month. They are offering you 60% off of your first order when you go to mylola.com and enter promo code awesome60 when you subscribe. So to check out Lola and get 60% off of your first order, go to mylola.com and enter promo code awesome60. That's awesome and the number six zero when you subscribe. Thank you, Lola. So what about you, Meg? What are your favorite resources? Well, the ones from when I was a very brand new mom are like so outdated now. My oldest is almost 13, but there is one that I think stands the test of time. And that is the sort of the website, the landing page for Baby Wearing International. It's babywearinginternational.org. I love baby wearing. It's one of my favorite parts of having a baby is popping a baby into a sling or a carrier, a wrap whatever your favorite is, and just keeping baby close. I think it's because I am a holder and a snuggler. Not everybody likes that part about having babies, and that's fine, but I love it. It's my favorite thing. In fact, one of the most heartbreaking parts of having the twins is I had one twin who did love to be carried. One, Mac, hated it, and it was like so heartbreaking. I was like, 
don't, son, look at me. You have to know who I am. This is my thing that I do. <laughs> and I worked really hard to get you guys here. Can you not get in a sling for me? I had done all the research on how to baby wear twins. I had all of the things. I had a plan and Mac was not having it. So anyway, John Kyle went along with the plan nicely. But Baby Wearing International it's a fantastic resource. It teaches you all about like sort of the guidelines for baby wearing, how to do it safely, how you can make your own. It defines all of the different kinds of wraps and carriers and slings that there are. It's fantastic. I love it so much. Again, my oldest is very old, but she was the one who introduced me to baby wearing because she wanted to be carried all the time, which worked out nicely for me. But eventually your arms get tired and you have to do stuff around your house. You can't as much as you'd like to just sit in the rocking chair with your baby all day. So I got my very first Ergo carrier when Daisy was probably five or six months old. I wore that thing out. It was fantastic. And I'm such a fan of baby wearing. So that's probably at the top of my list. Another one that has come out since then, since my, you know, sometime in the time span between when Daisy was a baby and when we had the twins, is a book. And it's kind of like, it's a book, a website, and an app called The Wonder Weeks. Are you familiar with the Wonder Weeks? Or I looked into that a little bit with Isaac. I got it from the library to check it out. Yes, it's really good. It's not parenting advice at all. It looks at babies' development, particularly like their cognitive development from birth through, I don't know, even know, it goes for a long time. And it explains to you what's happening week by week. It's called the Wonder Weeks. It explains what's happening with them physically, mentally, and emotionally. So there's these kind of predictable leaps that babies make in their development. And it gives you a heads up, like, okay, your baby's six weeks old. They're getting ready to go through this leap or whatever. I never have actually read the book to it. They have a fantastic website filled with tons of resources. But when the twins were born, I did get the app and put it on my phone. It was so helpful to have. It just gives you, cause you know, with babies, they're crying and they're fussy and they're cranky and you don't know why. The Wonder Weeks kind of gives you a little bit of like, well, it could be this. If they're this old, it could be this. So that's really super helpful. I love the Wonder Weeks. And then the last one is really twin specific. I think I've maybe even mentioned this book on the show before, but it bears mentioning again. One of the best guides out there for getting through a pregnancy with multiples is written by Dr. Barbara Luke, and it's called When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets, or Quads, Proven Guidelines for a Healthy Multiple Pregnancy. I love this book. It is very straightforward, written by a doctor who explains fundamentals of your nutrition and what's happening to your body, what you can expect for birth with multiples. It's comprehensive. If you know someone who is pregnant with multiples, I think this is a great gift to give. You might ask them first if they've got I ended up getting like three copies of this when I was pregnant with the twins, which was great. And people are so thoughtful. This is really the gold standard for medical, thoughtful, non-scary guidance for a multiples pregnancy. So I really love that one. Okay, before we wrap up the show, let's just kind of go like rapid fire through some of our favorites that we love to give and get and all of the things from the baby stage. I'm just going to ask some We'll go back and forth and kind of talk about these questions really quickly. A big part of having a baby, especially when you first bring baby home, again, whether it's through adoption or birth or however baby comes to your family, people love to bring food. And we love to receive food. Yes, <laughs> when we, we do. A new member of the family. So, Rebecca, let's talk. What are Isaac is 10 months old. If anybody wants to still bring me a baby meal, I will accept it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay, let's talk, Rebecca, some of your favorite meals either to take or to receive. You're really good with freezer meals, which I never have been good at. So let's talk about some of your favorites there. Okay, so first of all, a little hack, something that I've really enjoyed doing for others when I take a meal is to send them a menu and let them pick what it is that they want. This will eliminate them getting five lasagnas. Even if they love lasagna, they may not love the fifth one. And it's just fun. It gives them kind of a little sense of control and you know that they're picking something that they're going to look forward to eating. Now, of course, only put things on the list that you're comfortable actually making and that you feel like you can handle and manage in the time frame that you have. But I just love that little hack of sending a menu along. Now, that is so thoughtful. That's amazing. I've never had anyone do that. So good for you, Rebecca. You're a good friend. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. So now my favorite freezer meal that I like to make ahead of time is taco soup. This recipe was originally from one of those fun little like tea room restaurants, you know, that you go and you have the little teas. So you know it's going to be good because those places have all of the best like little food. So it's a taco soup. It's a tomato-based soup with ground beef, beans, taco seasoning. You top it off with sour cream, cheese, and some crushed tortilla chips or corn chips. I am of the camp that mama doesn't need to adjust what she's eating because she's breastfeeding a baby. You don't need to do that, okay? It's such a big myth. It is a huge myth. So indulge in your onion-filled taco soup. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I double the recipe. It freezes so well. Obviously, then you're going to want to not freeze the sour cream and all that stuff. But the recipe, I have it on my blog. We'll put it in the show notes. It's fantastic. What's your favorite? I am of the opinion that when you have a new baby, you don't need to be watching what you're eating in terms of limiting calories. No, you do not. Like, bring me all of the cheese. Yes. Bring me all of the fattiness. Now, I know some people really do need to avoid dairy for various reasons, but truly for me, like, I'm like, bring all of the salt, all of the cheese, all of the fattiness, because it's really a time you're doing really hard work in those days. And I think that it's a great time to kind of indulge. My favorite thing to give, to take to somebody to drop off, if they are okay with dairy, is just a big batch of cheese enchiladas. I love a cheese enchilada. It's very filling. You can make a ton of them. So if you're taking them to like a family where this is not their first baby and they have other kids running around, most all kids like cheesy stuff. So that's good. It's family friendly. You can make a ton of them for very cheap. So I love to do that. And then, you know, some sides to go along with it. Maybe just like some steamed rice to go on the side, or you could make it fancy and do like a more Mexican rice type thing. We almost always take bags of chips and salsa and just kind of do a little bit of a Tex-Mex feast. And then there's plenty on hand. And those enchiladas can easily be popped into the freezer, you know, just like maybe a little extra preparation, but then pop them in the freezer. If you have a ton of food already, they could be frozen and, and eaten later. So I'm a big fan of those. And also, I always make enchiladas with corn tortillas, and so it's gluten-free. Lots of families avoid gluten, so it's a pretty easy one to give. And yeah, I'd love to get a big pan of enchiladas right now, actually. <laughs> Bring it on. How old are Bring your twins? It on. Baby meal. <laughs> yes, Send yes. it to Meg. <laughs> okay, so yes, all the food, so good. I also will drop off a chocolate cake. I mean, chocolate cakes are good for any occasion, if you ask me, so... All right, let's talk about baby gifts. We talk about gifts and giving so much in the Hangout group. Lots of questions always about baby gifts. What have been some of your favorites to either give or receive or both? Well, I absolutely love giving a first year calendar, but I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in another question here. So right now I want to highlight a teething necklace. Now, I love my teething necklace. This is going to be a little bit tricky unless you know that the parent that you're giving it to leans towards the crunchy side, (laughs) then they're going to be all over it. (laughs) If not, they might look at you like you're a little bit crazy. But basically the teething necklace, it's a Baltic amber necklace. The beads are made out of Baltic amber, which has naturally occurring anti-inflammatories in it. And your baby wears it around their neck. It's not for them to chew on. It's actually for them just to wear. And then the anti-inflammatory is naturally absorbed into the skin and it can really help with teething pain. I have used one for Noah. I'm using one with Isaac. I absolutely love them. They have made a significant difference in teething. I have seen it in my friends' kids and my own kids. I have gotten mine from a company called Spark of Amber, but they also are available on Amazon. Again, we'll put links in the show notes. My only recommendation is to go with a raw teething necklace. So the difference is a polished bead is a shiny bead, and those are great, and they look really nice. The raw necklaces are unpolished, and the beads look a little bit cloudy, and they're a little bit maybe bumpier. They're smooth, but they look less perfect. The reason why I say go with raw is because they actually have a higher concentration of the anti-inflammatory in them. And if you're going to have your baby wearing a necklace, this was my philosophy. If my baby boy (laughs) is going to be crawling around the church nursery wearing a necklace with the grandmas, (laughs) 
<laughs> looking at me like I'm nuts. <laughs> it might as well yes. be a raw necklace that it's getting the most bang for its buck. So that's why I recommend going with a raw one. It's the most powerful. So good. Yes, we loved those two. I didn't find those until probably around the time the twins were born is when I was like, oh, they're definitely going to get those. And they can be really helpful. So my favorite that I have gotten as a gift and I love to give to other people is a nursing pillow. So either like a boppy, which is a very standard one you can find at Target or, you know, Babies R Us or wherever, is fantastic. A new brand that I had a boppy with the girls, but then when the twins were born, my friend Jen Hoffman of the Healthy Moving Company, she sent me a twin nursing pillow from my breast friend nursing pillow line. It was amazing. I love it. It had a little pocket off of the side that I could stick passies in. But these are fantastic. Even if you are not nursing as a new mom, they are fantastic for just for propping baby up on you know, for feeding, even if you're bottle feeding, just to have something to rest your arms on. One of my favorite things about having a new baby is just kind of having a little nest where you have all of your supplies close by and then just having your nursing pillow. I have a lot of fondness for it. And I think that they can be used for a lot of things besides feeding in those first months with a new baby. So I love those. Gifts or other things that you've bought for yourself, Rebecca, that you actually never used. Do you have any of those? Fancy bibs. I always feel like they are too nice with the little embroidered images on them to get them smeared with sweet potatoes that I still have some completely unused because <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to put them <laughs> on my babies. Yes. That and like traditional receiving blankets. Now, I feel like receiving blankets have since been more replaced by bigger, more practical muslin blankets. I talked in a previous episode, my awesome of the week was modern burlap, making these really huge, beautiful blankets. They're much easier for wrapping your babies and swaddling your babies. And of course, then actual swaddle blankets or like sleep sacks with the swaddle feature on them. I feel like those are much more practical than a typical like Gerber receiving blanket. That's just not, it's just not big enough. What do you use it for? I know we ended up like rolling them up to stick them under like car seats to kind of balance, you know, bring a car seat to balance and stuff like that. Or we just tuck them into strollers when we were out and about. But really, there really are more practical blankets, I feel like, that are available now. So yeah, I totally get that. Sadly or hilariously, I don't know what you might want to call it, the thing that we never used was a bassinet. <laughs> we had a beautiful one for Daisy. It was so gorgeous and she hated it. She would never, ever, ever sleep in there. AJ, we didn't even bother with it. I think I sold it or gave it away after Daisy was born. And then we didn't bother with AJ. Now with the twins, I had invested in one of those arms reach co-sleepers that like hooks onto your mattress and never used it either the twins hated it so all of my children are bed sleepers for their first few months and then we kind of shuffle out to different safe sleeping spaces from there but yeah the bassinet and the co-sleepers i love the idea of them they've never worked for my kids so they actually end up usually holding like clean clothes and cloth diapers <laughs> Okay, no joke. I'm not kidding. Last week, my husband was like, can we move the bassinet up to the attic? Because all you're using it for is a hamper. Like, you're just putting your clothes in it. Why is it still here? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's like a big marker for us, too. Like, we're moving out of a certain phase now because now I don't have this, you know, filled with <laughs> clean baby clothes anymore. We're going to get rid of it. Well, and ironically, <laughs> Isaac's the only baby that we've used a bassinet with also. I don't know what's up with you and I and, like, non-bassinet people, but, like, everybody uses a bassinet. Why are we so weird? <laughs> wrong with us? What is wrong with us? Okay, last question, and I think you're probably better at this than I am. What is your favorite way to capture and keep the memories from baby's first year. We all know we take a million pictures of those new babies. What's your favorite way to hang on to those? Okay, it's like all the ways. I do all the things. I do them all, all of them. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so like the monthly pictures, I do that. I take a picture of each of my kids on the couch with their first teddy bear. Everybody gets a new teddy bear when they're born and I take their picture next to it every single month. I am a huge fan, like I said already, of the first year calendar. So basically, that's a calendar that you get to adjust and fill in according to whenever your baby was born. And then you can write on it highlights, milestones, 
special outings, first words, like all those things. You can write that on the calendar and use that kind of in place of a traditional baby book. Except I'm weird and I do all the things, so I also like to keep a baby book. (laughs) And so I will like use the first year calendar to help me then fill out the baby book later because it's so much easier to write things down like as they're happening throughout the month rather than looking at the baby book and being like oh I was supposed to write down the first time we went to the park but I don't remember when that happened I didn't know to write that down you know what I mean it just I do yeah and then of course like I take like all the pictures and I use chat books for all of my photo book creating it's an app that we've talked about at length before here on Sort of Awesome, and they are affordable, they're easy to use, and that is what I love. If there's something that I've missed, I probably do that too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is the difference between a strong sensing type and a strong intuitive type. I barely do any of the things. I did have one of those first year calendars with Daisy, and it was super helpful to just jot down because you think you're going to remember, but you don't remember. So I really did love that. I only had it for Dicey. So sorry, other kids, just (laughs) add it to your list for therapy (laughs) someday. Okay, we have talked so much about baby stuff today. All of our thoughts, our advice, our resources. We're going to stick into the show notes. We're going to add to the show notes for this episode a little bit more. Rebecca and I both have been blogging through parenting journeys. I have a long blog series from when I was pregnant with the twins. If you have not read that and you want to, (laughs) you can see my belly go from normal size to (laughs) gargantuan. So I'll put that link in the show notes. But Rebecca has a ton of great parenting and new baby and all the things. And of course, her very Pinterest famous, what you need for your postpartum body post, all kinds of links in the show notes for this episode. Don't forget, you can find those at any time at sortofawesomeshow.com slash show notes. But Rebecca, if people want to talk to you about this on social media, remind us where we can find you all around the web. Well, like we said, my blog is simplyrebecca.com. That's where I talk a lot about parenting. Also talk about natural living, ways to save money. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at simplyrebecca. Okay, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us at anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. And we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.